world-class guests, fascinating stories, inspiring messages. Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about real-world strategies for coping with mental illness and disability. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, Heather Hutchison. Heather is an award-winning singer and songwriter from Vancouver Island, Canada. She is also a mental health and disability advocate, the author of Holding On by Letting Go, and she has been blind since birth. You can learn more about Heather, her book, and her music at her website, heatherhutchison.com, and I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Heather. I'm so glad that you could join with me today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I am so delighted to be able to be visiting with you today. And you have overcome a lot of challenges in your life, experiencing being blind in multiple countries in Canada and also in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And also you've had struggles with mental health and that unique challenge of being hospitalized for psychiatric care during the COVID pandemic. Would you be willing to share your story? Yeah, absolutely. Where, where should we start, I guess? Oh my goodness, there are some <laughs> Which part would you like to begin with? Do you want to begin with just basic, what is it like to be blind from birth? I mean, what do you see? Is it blackness? Is it nothing? Is it, what is it? Yeah, that's a good question, because I think a lot of people think that it is just blackness. But actually, if you can't see anything at all, it's it's literally you can't see blackness because that would be seeing something. I actually have some vision. So blindness kind of exists on this like spectrum from fully sighted to blind. So completely blind. So I have a little bit of they classify it as light perception. Um, so I can see, you know, the difference between light and dark. I can see if a person is standing close by, although I would not be able to see enough details to see their face or anything like that. I actually see better in low light than when it's super bright out. Interesting. Okay. Fascinating. So now you have lived in, in, was it South? No, Latin America, not South America and in Canada. What, what took you to those different places? Yeah. So I lived in Peru. I kind of grew up surrounded by the Latin American community in Canada. And it was really like to generalize, um, a lot of Canadians kind of have one of two responses to my blindness. Either they kind of try to ignore it completely to the point where it's actually awkward, or they try to pretend that they're cool with it by constantly cracking jokes and things like that, which is fine. I like a good blind joke, but you know, people are a lot less original than they think they are. I've heard them all a thousand times before. Um, but in Peru or in Latin America in general, people are just a lot less phased by differences, I guess, and a lot more accepting. So they just don't get awkward about the things that we here in North America tend to be uncomfortable by. Oh, that is very, very interesting. Okay, so what do you wish that people knew? How do you how would you like people to treat your special needs? I mean, what what do you, what do you want people to do or say? I hope that one day we get to a point where people are just normal, you know, they treat us like anybody else um because we're we are, you know, we work, we have families and friends and you know, most of us live very fulfilling full lives, so I think it's really important to look at, 
you know, if you're interacting with somebody with a disability, look at the person instead of the disability. You know, everybody's going to have a different personality. Everybody's going to have different hobbies and interests and things like that. So really treat people how you would want to be treated. You know, if, if you would feel awkward about people getting all awkward around you, you know, try not to do that and just really get to know the person behind, you know, what you initially see as a disability. That is such brilliant advice, and it seems so obvious. Why do we have to be reminded about things that are obvious? Mm -hmm. Yes, in North America, we need to be reminded. And maybe in Central America, that's one thing that they understand a little better than we do. So we've got some work to do. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about... Uh, so many, I have so many questions. What <laughs> led you to singing? What led you to writing songs? What is this? I'm assuming this is your passion. Yes. Yeah, very much so. So I can't really remember a song, a time when I wasn't singing and writing songs. It was kind of just, you know, even as a little kid, I would carry around this really heavy tape recorder and just always be like making up songs and, and stories and things like that. I remember being like six and my brother offering to lend me a hundred dollars so I could record an album, which is kind of hilarious because I've recorded three albums now and they don't cost a hundred dollars. So, but yeah, so it was always kind of a passion for me. And then as I got into my teens, into my early teens, and I started really struggling with depression and feeling isolated from my peers, I would sit down at the piano and I would write out how I was feeling and And it would make a lot more sense to me, you know, these complicated teenage emotions, if I got them out in music, they, they could start to dissipate because they were, you know, out there. And then when I started recording, I actually recorded, finished my first album when I was 16. And wow, yeah, so to be like in high school and going and doing these concerts and things, and then people would come up to me after the show and be like, you know, I heard this song and this song's meant a lot to me because I was going through such and such a thing. And it was just that universality of emotion in music that I think really drew me to it. Wow. That is absolutely beautiful. So you have three albums now, your first one when you were just a teenager. How old are you now? Can I ask that? 33. 33. And you've got three. Well, congratulations. That is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Well, so now can I ask about the mental health issues? You said that that has been a struggle and it sounds like it's been a struggle from the teen years to even to today, because you mentioned that during the COVID era, you were having some struggles then. So what types of issues are you dealing with and what, um, what helps you? So I think probably when I was about seven is really when things started and I would get really anxious. They would send me home from school because I would be sick all the time. And I I hope things are changing, but I know back when I was growing up, it was kind of, you know, oh, she's just, you know, my parents would take me to the doctor and oh, she's just an anxious kid. She'll grow out of it, which is really unfortunate because I think in childhood is really when we have the best chance to change those patterns before they get really established. So by my early teens, I started really struggling with depression, I think probably initially brought on by the anxiety because nobody wants to feel that way all the time. So throughout my life, my teen years and my adult life, I've struggled with major depressive episodes. So, you know, sometimes 
things are great and then there will be weeks or months or you know even up to a year when it's hard just to get out of bed in the morning which um when the COVID-19 pandemic hit I was actually just coming out of a really really bad major depressive episode and I'd gone to my doctor I was able to stay out of the hospital at the time, um, they increased, they changed my medications, they increased outpatient support. But then when the pandemic hit, it was like all of a sudden, nobody, you know, the doctors weren't seeing patients in person. We didn't even have video calls at that point. It was just like phone calls and there just wasn't the support there that I needed. So I got worse and worse with, with nobody really to see it until, yes, I ended up in uh, the psychiatric ward in the spring of 2020. Oh, right at the beginning when stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and how long were you there? Nine days. Nine days. Yeah. Okay. You know, I think one of the, the mistakes, and I don't know how we could have done it better, but I have seen so many people who are in a, a, a needing medical situation, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, but having that absolute cutoff from mm-hmm. all of support I think it did a lot more damage than it did good. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I say that a lot because I think it's people, you know, we look at the numbers of, of deaths by COVID-19 and hospitalizations and, and all that stuff, of course, is is a tragedy. But there's this other tragedy that's going on that people aren't really talking about. Right. Like your experience and that just being cut off. Mm-hmm. And I think it's heightened a lot of people's anxiety as well. Absolutely. So I'm glad that you are home and hopefully you're you're in a good place right now. Yeah, yeah. So what kinds of things help to pull you out? I love when you call it a depressive episode. And I think that word is is actually better than just saying depression because a lot of times things come in kind of waves, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Right. or spirals. Yes, yes, yeah. or a spiral. And so to be able to think almost, if this is a wave, I'm going to be able to get out of it. This is something that I need to get through rather than just, this is a deep, dark hole that somebody chucked me in and I'm going to stay there forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. I do appreciate that. What kinds of tools have you noticed help you to be um, more happy and in a, a better place emotionally? So for me, a lot of it has been practice because I think we we get these tools right whether it's in therapy or on our own or in the psychiatric ward and like CBT or you know mindfulness meditation whatever it is we get these tools and then we expect so much of ourselves right away and we think okay I'm gonna master CBT in a day and it doesn't work like that (laughs) and then you know it's just this other this another failure in a long string of failures so I think The number one thing for me that's been really important is no matter what tool I'm using, whether it's CBT, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's, you know, distraction, whatever it is, is to give myself a bit of grace and understand that these things take practice. It's like music. It's like, you know, anything else. You don't learn it in a day. It's something that you practice every day and you're conscious of every day. And, you know, it's not this People think of, I think, recovery from depression or whatever as as maybe a bit of a finish line, and it's not. It's a choice that you make every day. So every day I choose to practice these tools that I've learned to 
try to a big one for me is is to constantly focus on okay what is my purpose because as soon as I let that go and I feel like I don't have a purpose then things start to spiral downhill for me and I can't stop that so I think another really important thing is with practice again learning to recognize when you start to spiral and catching it as soon as you start because you do get to a point where you're just so deep into it that it becomes incredibly difficult for you to get out on your own. That is beautiful. So that self-awareness and also talking about your purpose and, and remembering your purpose. That's what Viktor Frankl said in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He said, if you have a why to live, you can get through almost any how. Yes. If we remember that, that purpose and that you're here for a reason and your gifts are here to help you and also to help other people through your music, through your story. And speaking of stories, you wrote a book. Yes. So how is writing a book different than writing, say, songs? How do you accomplish writing a book? It was actually quite different because I think with songs, we can hide behind metaphors a little more. You know, for me, I'll write a song and it you know, is based somewhat in truth, but might not be completely my story. It might be, it might involve somebody else who I know, their story, or, you know, so it's a little bit more of creative writing, I guess. And writing this book, which was a memoir, you don't have those metaphors to hide behind because you're talking about yourself only. And there's, you know, consequences to that because you're writing about other people who are living because your story is part of their story and vice versa. So I think it's really different um, in that sense. You have to be a lot more direct, which is scary. <laughs> there were a lot of sleepless nights, you know, going, am I seriously going to do this? You know, how is this person going to react? Am I being fair to this person? Those are some excellent questions and very important to ask. May, may I ask how the, in, the, in the process of writing... For, for people who can see, it would be a matter of sitting at the computer and typing at a keyboard. Mm -hmm. Do you type on a keyboard? What do you do to get your words down? Yeah, I type on a keyboard. So I have software that reads everything on the screen back to me. I can have it read it in speech, like a synthesized voice, or I can also have it um, come up on a uh, device that I have that's called a refreshable braille display. That's fantastic. I think it's so cool that there are so many wonderful tools and resources available to be able to um, compensate for some of our, our weaknesses and some of our, our uh, disabilities. Mm -hmm. So as it, it being blind obviously has dis disadvantages, are there advantages that you've noticed? I think so. You know, it teaches you to be patient because like it or not, you are relying on people more than maybe you would hope. Um, even if you're, you know, taking the bus or whatever, you're kind of always adhering to somebody else's schedule or you are standing at a crosswalk and you need to wait a second to listen to the traffic to see if you can go. You can't just look up the light. And it's hilarious because so many sighted people, if I'm standing there doing that, it makes them like really uncomfortable because they're like, go, 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 go. So I think, yeah, it, it teaches you patience. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it gives an opportunity for patience. That's for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. That's awesome. If you actually learn that lesson. Well done, Heather. 
So I have another question, and that is, um, what words would you share to someone who's struggling with feeling hopeless or, or struggling with their mental health? That's a great question. I don't like to give anti empty platitudes like tomorrow's another day, cheer up, stuff like that. Because for me, when I was going through it, that just further served to isolate me and I would just stop listening to the person at that time. But what I can say is that I can promise that there will come a day when you'll stop in a moment and you'll feel so much joy and you'll think to yourself, I would have missed this. And I hope with all my heart that you'll hold on for that moment because it's worth it. Wow. Okay. So hold on for the moment that will be worth it. And you will Mm -hmm. see a moment that is worth it. That is, that feels like I have an image in my mind, like you're hanging off a cliff and there's this little twig out there and you're just holding on with both hands, trying not to let go and fall down into that hole and thinking it's worth it to hold on. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Amazing. Okay. So let's see, when did you first realize your struggles with depression, and anxiety, and how did you, um, you said when you were, when you were younger, it was kind of brushed aside, I suppose. Mm-hmm. At what point did you figure out, you know what, actually, this is a, a real challenge that I have, and I could use some outside help, some professional help. Yeah, I think I was 13. The first time that I went to counseling, um, there was some some issues, I guess, with my depression and some people uh, were concerned about my safety. So they actually talked to my the school counselor who referred me on to a psychologist. So I was fortunate in that sense that I did, um, you know, receive some of that help pretty early on. That's scary that they were concerned about your safety. Yeah. Such a young age. And I wish that weren't the case, but I do appreciate that you had people who are paying attention and be able to intervene in yes. time because yeah. I'm grateful that you are still here. Thank you. It's, it's true. Like it's so easy to miss those signs. So tell me about your music. What do you like to sing about? Are you, are you open to singing a little something here for us or? Yeah, sure. <laughs> awesome. Um, what should I sing? Oh, maybe I'll do something off my last album. We're actually working on a new one right now, but if I try to sing one of those songs, I'll probably forget the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is yeah a bit of a song that's on my last album, Where the Ocean Meets the Sand, and this is called My Truth. I'm awakened by your teardrops in the shadow light of dawn. We know it, there's no secret. We don't have too long You don't need to tell me I've been slipping away I don't remember who I was But I know I'm not the same Oh, that was beautiful <laughs> I'm you. sad you stopped That was lovely <laughs> You had a beautiful voice I can see why your brother was saying He was ready for your first album when you were just little Oh, I think he just wanted to make money He was going to charge me like 30% <laughs> interest I think it was more a business interest than. <laughs> oh, okay, so that's the rest of the story huh? Yeah, exactly <laughs> There was some self-interest involved Gosh darn, I thought he was being supportive Yeah, cool. brothers yeah, they have a tendency to do that. Is there anything else you wanted to to make sure that we cover today? Is there any message that you want to make sure that you share? I think just 
find purpose in your pain. And once you're able to move through that pain into your purpose, then you'll open yourself up to things that you never imagined would be possible. Oh, that's beautiful. And you are doing amazing things. Did you think that you would be able to accomplish all these incredible things when you were 13 and struggling and wondering what was next in your life? No, no, I really didn't. It was actually one night when I was in the hospital and I was lying there, I couldn't sleep and somebody was brought in by air ambulance in critical condition. And I started thinking about their loved ones and thinking, you know, they must be having one of the scariest nights of their lives. And I started thinking about my own loved ones and thinking, you know, how can I feel so much compassion and empathy for this person's loved ones while I know the decision I want to make will devastate my own. And I started thinking about the patient and this juxtaposition of they're fighting to live and I'm fighting to die and I'm the one who really has a choice here. And if I'm going to choose to live, then I need to turn, you know, that pain into purpose and do something hopefully meaningful um, coming out of a really difficult situation. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That was so insightful and so beautiful. I wish that every person who got into that situation of desiring to end their lives would reflect like you did about the effects of other people. Mm -hmm. I have friends and family and loved ones who suffered the pain of losing someone who ended their life by choice. Yes. And the effects are so, so far reaching. Yeah, yeah, they really are. I think, what is it, the statistic, it affects up to 200 people or something every suicide? I can't remember the exact number, but it's... But it's a lot. Yeah. And it affects everyone in so much heartache. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for visiting with me today and for your amazing talents. You're, You're incredible, Heather. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it has been a pleasure. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by Helen Keller. She said, blindness is an unfortunate handicap, but true vision does not require the eyes. She also said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. Today, whether or not you enjoy the gift of sight, I invite you to embrace the gift of vision. See you next time on Linda's Corner.